The future is now. A world of endless possibility awaits. At the forefront of this revolution stands Web3, the beacon of innovation and the gateway to the future. Join us as we embark on a journey of discovery and exploring the cutting edge technologies and revolutionary ideas that will shape the world of tomorrow. This is Web3 Talks, and we're just getting started. And my name is Caleb. I'm the host of Web3 Talks. Today, I have a special person, person who is pushing Web3 forward as the COO of an organization that is currently the number one spot on the Web3 index. And I'll actually have to ask you about that in a second if that's uh, if that still uh, rings true. Let me warmly and excitedly welcome John Gleason of StoreJ Labs. How are you, John? I'm doing great, Caleb, and I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to, to join your audience and and, uh, and speak on the, about the uh, Web3 progress that we're seeing. Uh, your positioning as being for builders, right, resonates so true because what we're all about is building useful tools for people to use Web3 technologies to transform how data is stored on the internet. And so this is a fantastic forum for us to, to sort of evangelize that position. Yeah, and I am really grateful for you to, to be on the show. And, and on that note, I do want to mention, because uh, I think it's really relevant, how I even heard about StoreJ. Uh, literally what you just said, there's this platform called uh, Entra. I was very active on there and they... Uh, I don't know if they use StoreJ uh, as part of their infrastructure for their social media platform, but some of the behind the scenes guys were using StoreJ to store a lot of their uh, data because they are, they already saw the use behind it. I think it's awesome, decentralized cloud-based storage, but I'll, I'll let you speak a little bit more on this. Uh, and before I jump into everything, where can we find more information about the project? Is there uh, well, <laughs> project, uh, the actual um, you know, storage is what's the website and are there, are there social media handles? Absolutely. So, um, we are on Twitter at storage. Our website is storage.io. So S T O R J dot IO. Uh, and from the website, you can find our documentation. You can find our community at forum.storage.io. Um, we have, uh, some activity in Reddit. Uh, but really I think, uh, the best places to go are the community. Uh, following us on Twitter, and then really just um, if you go to storage.io, you can actually sign up. You can try the product for free. You get 25 gigs of storage and bandwidth a month. Um, so there's really a lot you can do with just a free tier. We find a lot of builders who just sort of are trying to get their project off the ground. And one of the things that's really daunting is AWS infrastructure costs. But if you can get your project going and you can do it by using Web3 Infra that that's potentially uh, really low cost or free, I think it gets people going. But yeah, those are the, the main assets that you can find. And we have a ton of information there for builders. You know, I just realized, I think I've been uh, calling it wrong this whole time because the way that I was told it, it was storage, but it, it's storage. It's storage. That's, totally, that, that's the funny thing, right? So I, I'm a, I'm originally a Midwesterner. So to me, it's storage. Uh, but, you know, if you talk to anybody outside the U.S., it's definitely storage. So, you know, you can sort of consider yourself on the avant-garde by pronouncing it storage. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're one of the cool kids. <laughs> that's really funny. I'll, I'll call it storage. I'll call it storage. I, I think that that's cool. Uh, you know, I was going to ask you, uh, tell us a little bit about you. What got you into web three? Um, but actually before that, uh, how did your career start? Like what, what, tell me about the journey from when you started uh, to go out into the economy and provide value uh, up to the point where you got into Web3? That, of course, presumes I provide value. But uh, um, so 
Or, no, you or, do, you do. <laughs> Let me clear on that. <laughs> in, my, in my first technology job, um, I was working for a, a, a chain of, uh, of local uh, gourmet grocery stores. And, uh, you know, that was sort of my, my very first sales job was just selling uh, wine and gourmet food. And at one point in time, they were going to implement a new POS system. And uh, nobody in a family business knew anything about technology. And at that time, I didn't either. And so like, hey, who wants to lead this and get this done? And everybody else stepped back. And I just sort of looked at like, oh, I guess that means I stepped forward. So I tried it and I really had a knack for technology and I loved it. Um, I went to law school. Uh, I started uh, practicing law. I practiced law for about three years and I hated that. Um, and I realized that the biggest difference was that, uh, that being a lawyer was very adversarial and it was very zero sum. And working in technology, you were building things and you were creating new value. And I'm a builder. I look for I look for synergies. I look for one plus one equals three. I like putting partnerships together. Um, and I found that I shifted from being a lawyer to building a business that supported law firms with technology. And from there, I just learned to do different things and and sort of moved there from a to, to doing sort of digital marketing, and then from there to a more proper technology company. And then I was working as a um, in uh, in product marketing and in in uh, developer relations in a uh, a company that got acquired. And the acquiring company sort of was more of a traditional tech and there wasn't a lot of opportunity for innovation. And frankly, I, I was a little bored. And someone that worked with me went to work for storage. And, uh, you know, I'd been talking like, you know, about Web3 and tokens and stuff like that. And I was talking a big game, but I didn't know anything. And the, the woman went to uh, this other company. And when she went there, she's like, I'll take the job, but you got to talk to this guy you used to work with because I think you'd like him too. So I got an interview. I talked to storage. And I'm like, this stuff is so cool. Like, this is really revolutionary and different. This is like a disruptive set of technologies. And that was 2017 and I joined. And at that point in time, uh, I think we can all agree that, that the Web3 actual infrastructure and tech was very immature. It was a lot of great ideas, a lot of reasonably good execution, but really the product market fit wasn't there. And so this has really been a journey for me of seeing Web3 uh, mature and evolve and the market sort of sift through what is kind of like the 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 lots of good talk but no actual product compared to things that are really good fit for web3 technologies that are solving real real world problems today and so i think when you look at what's really getting traction a lot of it is the web3 infra it's the storage providers it's like live peer doing video transcoding it's akash doing distributed compute right there are sets of technologies today that sort of have were really good ideas that have become great execution and now are becoming super relevant, right? And you look at storage and the price of storage and the amount of data being created. If you can provide low cost, efficient storage that's environmentally friendly, oh my gosh, you're killing it. If you can provide video transcoding in a world where the fastest growing asset class is video, oh my gosh, you're killing it. Especially if you can do it at one-tenth the price of Amazon. And similarly, if with the growth of AI, if all of a sudden you actually have under control, your control, a huge collection of distributed uh, compute assets, wow, you are positioned excellently for growth. So that's what I'm super excited about now. So that's kind of how I got there, how I rolled into it, and then uh, and then where I am and what I see today. Yeah, I love I love all of that. I, I, there was so much there. What, what is it that got you into um, Web3? Because you, you touched on it. You said that Storge, you had kind of heard about tokens. What, what did you know up to that point uh, about Web3? What, what was it that you were familiar with? You know, up to that, my my sort of scope of knowledge and, and opinion was was really 
limited, right? Because I was coming from traditional um, Web2 tech, doing enterprise technology. And, and so blockchain to me was the Rube Goldberg way of doing something that was already a solved problem, right? I had a really negative view because I looked and said, what's all this complexity for? Why bother decentralizing something that works perfectly fine in a centralized context? And it wasn't until you really start to see the use cases and I started to see how it could be applied where I was like, okay, so decentralized storage was the one that made the most sense. You have a, an approach where Amazon, Google, and Microsoft have 90% of the market share. They are building really carbon intensive buildings. They're racking servers. They're connecting the internet and calling it cloud. And if you want to compete in that market, you need billions of dollars. But if, if you could have a different approach where you didn't have to build data centers, you didn't have to buy servers, and you didn't have to do sort of carbon intensive things. What if you could just tap into existing latent capacity, like being the Airbnb of hard drives? All of a sudden you have a business model where you can go in with a more reasonable cost of goods. You can go in with a um, business that's really built on OPEX, not CAPEX. And you can be disruptive because you can do things like compete with Amazon S3 at a ridiculously low price with great performance, great durability, great reliability, but also good margins. And so it's a nice thing that you can democratize uh, cloud infrastructure to let anyone be able to participate in that economy, not just people with billions of dollars. And so that's that was the aha moment for me was that that there was a way here to disrupt a model that was frankly just not good for anybody. Um, and now we're seeing uh, that really pay off today because people are adopting. People are looking at their cloud bills going, gosh, the economy is down and my cloud bills are up. I got to do something. I'm willing to try something disruptive because it's important to my business. Hmm. You know, that's interesting. I, I was going to touch, you mentioned Google. I was going to touch on this later. Uh, and I, I think I know this is going, but who is, who is the main uh, audience that, that storage is going after? Is it consumers, uh, like everyday users? I got 15 gigabytes of data that I, I, I maybe have to use every once in a while. Is it entrepreneurs, uh, startups, people that are kind of bootstrapping? Uh, is this an enterprise solution or is it all three? Is it a mix? Um, so it's two of the three. So we're definitely not going after a consumer audience, right? This is more of a, a analog to Amazon S3 than it is to like Google Drive. So a consumer would use Google Drive, a consumer would use Dropbox, but those things are built on underlying technologies like us. So definitely not a consumer play. Um, we're not geared towards that. We don't have the support model for that. And, and frankly, the, the the tooling and the product aren't necessarily great for that audience. But we'll, who we are great for are really two categories of business. One is kind of small and medium-sized businesses who maybe have a couple hundred terabytes to a few petabytes, or they're doing a couple of petabytes of egress a month, where the cloud bills themselves are disproportionately high in terms of the cost being a portion of what the overall business's um, revenue. We have a video streaming uh, uh, customer who's doing, you know, uh, low single digit petabytes of egress per month. Their last quote from Amazon was 80 grand a month, all in. And that customer is actually using a combination of storage and live peer. So live peer for the video transcoding, storage to serve and deliver the assets for video streaming. That customer is somewhere in the neighborhood of $10,000 a month. So we're talking like Lapa zero and then some off their cloud bill. That is wow. the difference for that customer in having a business and not having a business because at $80,000 a month, that is not a feasible um, going concern. And so that, that customer who is too big to pay premium cloud bills, but too small 
to get the volume-based discount that Amazon and Google and Microsoft will offer to you know hyperscale big customers, those those are a great fit for us and and for Web three generally. Uh, and then on the enterprise side, there are companies that are just looking at um, you know they may have a few hundred terabytes that are costing them tens of thousands of dollars a month uh, on the hyperscalers that would look at and go uh, that could be two or three grand, right? So it's it's um it's an amazing difference in terms of um, there are people, there are uh, SMB companies that are just kind of can exist period because of us, just because of the cost savings and the amount of margin that we can we can add into their business. And then there are enterprises who are just um, the opportunity is there if they will try disruptive technology to save a massive amount of money. Uh, and we're seeing both of those in the pipeline today. And that that's crazy. You guys are leveraging blockchain tech pretty much to to, to save people money. One thing, well, actually. Let's get into what a, what a petabyte is, because I know that a lot of people listening uh, may not be familiar with the petabyte. I, some companies are uh, because they, you're to that point where you have that much data. Um, I the first time I heard about a petabyte was was years ago when some random guy um, at the in, at this community that I used to uh, um, frequently visit. He was saying that his personal data he had reached two te- uh, two petabytes, and he had this whole raid set up uh, at home. And I was like, why do you even need that much space? But uh, quickly break, break down how much is a petabyte and how much is a terabyte? And a lot of people are familiar with it, but some might not be. Yeah. So I, I think uh, let's just start like at the at the gigabyte size, right? So yeah. the, um, uh, what was the old, uh, the math, like a, a DVD held a uh, few hundred gigabytes, I think, was that the right math? So if you had your old DVD, if you remember those little shiny things that people used to put into players, um, an average song is is probably a few um uh megabytes your average video 4k video might be a couple of gigabytes right so then if you have a bunch of video if you have a lot of those you might get up to a terabyte so a couple hundred uh full length hollywood movies ripped to your uh, your hard drive or if you are a video transcoding business and you are recording video and you're working in that space it's easy to have a couple hundred terabytes if you go to best buy and you want to buy a two terabyte drive you might pay a hundred bucks for it right so we look at it in terms of like, what is your your sort of ongoing cost per month to to rack and stack data to sort of give you an ROI? So if you're a business and you look at, you know, you want to buy two petabytes of storage capacity and you want to have redundancies, so you're rating it up and all that. So if something breaks, you don't lose your data. You could be into that for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like it is a crazy amount of money and you run into weird things like supply chain issues. So right now, you know, we're still dealing with, um, both, you know, climate generated and, and post-COVID changes to supply chains that really have have disrupted how uh, people buy servers and server components and things um, that are required for cloud object storage. And if you want to buy two petabytes of, of storage, it's not like you can go to Target and buy that, right? You're going to be trying to source all of those hard drives. And, uh, you know, that's, so a petabyte is a thousand terabytes. And so, if, you know, the typical hard drives today come in, flavors of eight terabytes or 16 terabytes, and you're buying 2000 of those, that's a lot of drives, right? That weighs a lot. You got to ship all that. And then you've actually got to get a hold of it. You've got to find a rack to put it in. You got power and all of those things. Like it's a lot of money. It's a lot of uh, carbon that you're generating to, to get all of that equipment and ship it all and rack it. And then you have to power it up, right? And then you might just start using a little bit of it. And over five years, the lifespan of that thing, you may finally fill it up at the end. 
Um, so th there's a huge set of issues on just getting the hardware, spinning up the hardware, paying for the hardware, and then ultimately the kind of the, the climate impact of that hardware. Whereas if you use a cloud service, um, typically they're doing that same thing, but they're also letting multiple people leverage that stuff. So there is an efficiency there. What we're doing that's different is instead of buying that stuff, we're finding data centers that already have it. It's already being spun, powered, cooled. It's operational. The amount of power used to um, to run a hard drive that's 75% full is not materially different from one that's 25% full. And what we're finding is in most data centers, hard drives are about 25% full. So that means that people are powering these things up and running them, and there's this excess capacity everywhere. We're able to aggregate that and make it available as an object storage layer. And at the same time, we're also able to take these uh, data centers and operators that are having, they've already spent the money on this hardware, they're able to monetize that excess capacity. So it's really cool. That is, that's awesome. And uh, it, you mentioned the, the DVD earlier. I remember when Blu-ray disc uh, came out and the one movie file, because uh, I, I used to plug them into my computer and just check. The one movie file was like 30 gigabytes. And I was just like, my mind was just blown. I was like, that's crazy. And now we're talking about, um, you know, terabytes of data for simple, simple software solutions, it, just, just just simple things. I, a lot of files are just, it, it, they're just increasing in size I, over time. I just think it's crazy. Um, and increasingly, these cloud-based uh, storage solutions are becoming more popular because they're just, they're just more practical. A lot of teams, a lot of companies will work remote. It's it's more practical to do it this way. So the benefits here are, are just are clear as is, is nine day. I just, I... I think that this is awesome. I love that you got into the, to the technicals and. Yeah. It's actually because we're, where we're seeing right now is, um, you know, your observation there about, you know, sort of that video production thing. That is a great use case for us. We're seeing that a lot because um, we've done uh, some benchmarking. Other people have been benchmarking us left and right on the performance side. Right now we're hitting speeds that are faster than Amazon for a distributed product, which is pretty crazy. Right. So if you're editing video, and you're like, gosh, I'd like to use something other than Amazon, but everything is too slow. And you could find something that was 80% cheaper and faster. Um, you know, it, it's a uh, it's an interesting growth area for us. And so you, we're seeing exactly what you're describing, right? Remote teams working on video, working on video production, working on, um, you know, sound effects and adding in video effects. But they need to move these big data files around all over the world because people are working remote now. And we're finding we're an excellent fit for that. And it's one of the highest areas of growth. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I just, um, I, I know that you said it's for businesses, uh, maybe like mid to large size businesses. I have used it for some smaller files, just, just for fun. You, yeah. you guys have this, um, I'm trying to think of how to word this. You guys have two ways of accessing files. Like if you just go onto the, the website, um, one is more practical and the other you have to set up and ins install something. If I'm not mistaken, I, I checked this out a few months ago. Do you know what I'm talking about? And can you get yes. into that? Yeah. So um, th this, this is what we kind of refer to as our Web 2, Web 3 bridge. So we're Web 3 native and we have our own protocol for transferring data. And you can store and retrieve data. So if you use our client, you, you would install that either locally on your machine or plug it into an application. And there are there are plenty of things that work with that. Uh, there are some you know developer tools like our clone. And then there are some like mass uh, media mainstream tools like uh, GB Labs, which is a video editing suite. They use our native integration too, because it's fast. And so 
that actually connects peer to peer to the 24,000 storage nodes in 103 different countries worldwide and does direct high parallelism transfers. So these transfers are super fast and also they use end-to-end -end encryption. But because we can't expect every single application to go and adapt and you know, implement our protocol just on the off chance that it might be a fit, uh, we offer a bridge between Web2 and Web3, we, it's our, web, our S3 gateway. And so Amazon S3 is the gold standard for um, the protocol for object storage on the internet. Everybody else has adapted that standard. So Google and Microsoft, Wasabi and Backblaze, IBM, Oracle, everybody's got an S3 gateway. We have one too. So that if somebody wants to switch from using Amazon to switch to using us, they can do it just by changing out the credentials. So we're fully compatible with, with the Web2 world. But on the back end, our gateway talks our native protocol. So somebody just has, they have their CP, they upload their file, and then we do all of the erasure coding, we do all of the encryption and all of that good stuff in a very secure, uh, performant and private manner. And so that's, it, it gives people the choice of, of being able to say if end-to-end -end encryption is important to me, if Web3 peer-to-peer sort of uh, decentralized transfers are important to me, if end-to-end -end encryption is important, um, we have the tooling for that. But if you just want to get going fast, then we have an S3 gateway. And uh, any developer kind of knows how to use it. And it's just sort of like, you don't have to teach somebody. They just go, I know what that is. And I just use it, right? So that's, that's one of our key um, approaches to driving adoption, right? Is just making it dead simple to use Web3. Because I think, you know, you and I hear it all the time in Web3. People are like, oh my gosh, the user experience, it's so garbage. I have a private key. I have a wallet. I have a thing. I don't know what to do. Whereas if you just log into a website, you generate some credentials and you do everything you would do in Web2, but you're just getting the performance benefits, the price benefits, uh, the security benefits, all of that stuff of Web3, you know, zero trust technologies and all that stuff. All those things roll forward uh, to people using our, our kit. So it's like, that's, that is one thing that uh, um, we see a ton of adoption on the, uh, on the gateway. And in Web3, everybody uses native and in Web2, 90% of people start with S3 Gateway. And then once they see the value, they start looking at, so you're telling me I can make it go faster. And then they start testing the Web3 kit. So it, it's a great way to drive adoption. Yeah, I, I love that. And you you mentioned that's one of the issues with onboarding is the, uh, the user experience. Another is, uh, how do I say this? A lot of, a lot of people coin this as Web 2.5. Um, I don't know if this is necessarily it, but making it easy for people to transition into Web3 because so uh, a lot of people, when they promise the Web3 solutions, they say, okay, abandon everything you know and completely start from anew and, and learn how the Web3 world works, the ecosystem. You got to learn from scratch and figure it out on your own, like how you're going to transfer all your uh, either personal credentials, like you're, you're talking about storage. Um, but I love what you guys have done, making it easy for people to transition in, into Web3. That's how it should be. That That is one of the core philosophies behind Web3. And I love that you guys are doing that. And uh, on that note, I, I have a question around privacy. And I, I guess this kind of stems from Microsoft OneDrive, which, yeah, a lot of the applications for that are more consumer end. I think they, they do have enterprise solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is a clause in their policy that that pretty much says they can access your data. Um, I don't know what they can do with it, but the fact that they they can they can access it, they can just go in and kind of look at it whenever. Uh, what is what are Storage's uh, or Storage's uh, values around privacy? 
Yeah. So privacy is one of our, uh, our, our, our core values uh, within the company, right? So security and privacy are, are very important to our business, but they're also essential to any, any sort of Web3 architecture. Because if you think about how we're actually constructed, our service is kind of a, a protocol that is a control plane that keeps track of where things are. But the ultimate data storage is on 24,000 nodes around the world that are not run by us that we don't have access to. So if we're going to store people's data in a network that looks like that, it better be private and secure. And so we've put zero trust principles in between the different peer classes on the network. So when you upload an object, the first thing that happens is it's encrypted with an encryption key that you have. We make it really easy to do, easy to manage. No, you don't have to learn encryption. You just have to upload and download. The software handles the encryption, but the encryption key is on your end. It's client side. We offer um, a uh, server-side encryption with the S3 gateway, but it's done in a privacy-focused way where we actually never persist that any encryption information. So if someone were to say to us, hey, can you go and look at that, that data for this customer? No, no, we can't uh, because that's not how the service works. And it's by design because if I upload a file and 24,000 people in the world are like, ooh, what is this, right? That's a terrible outcome. Um, and so every every piece of data that's stored on us, it's private by design and secure by default. So we can't see it. Nobody can see it unless they decide to share it. That's easy to do because that's a common use case, right? I want to post a video and I want people to watch it. So it can't be so secure that no one can ever see it. But when it's stored at rest on us, um, the customer needs to be secure, like confident that the data is secure. And so we use... Um, AES-256 GCM encryption, right? It's it's industry standard, military grade stuff that um, people can have confidence in it. And so when when we sort of get the, the CISO test and they go, hey, is this really secure? And we present what we offer, it passes the test. And so if it, if it wasn't, if we didn't have security and privacy as like our core tenants, uh, I don't think a service like this could function. Yeah, I'm glad you got into security. That was going to be my next question. You're you're really easy guest. I, I really appreciate that you are uh, you're basically anticipating the questions. I I love that those are part of the foundation uh, that's that storage is built upon because th those are important. Those are really important. Uh, and, and on that, have you guys seen? Well, I guess let me rephrase this. I, I guess I'm I'm kind of coming at this from uh, troubleshooting and technical support. So if if people have uh, technical issues, they they somehow can't get into their uh, account. Um, how do you guys curb that? Is that at the beginning in in terms of the orientation? Like, hey, save this uh, this key. You know, your classic in Web three. Keep keep your key safe. If you lose this, you can't get in. Um, mm -hmm. How do you guys handle that? How do you guys handle? uh basically educating customers or or do you guys have fixes to help people get into their accounts yeah so i guess there there's sort of two different layers to it right so absolutely right your keys are your data just like your keys are your wallet and your keys are your money in bitcoin right so we do our very best to make that user onboarding experience sort of as simple and easy as possible for someone to set their encryption key and not lose it, right? So we have all of those sort of tips and, and best practices inside of the UI of, okay, you're going to generate a passphrase here, save this thing. Um, we don't save that passphrase for a user. So they they will need to keep it. And this actually has been an area where uh, over the last three years, if I were to think of like all of the things were, that have required the most refinement from the user experience, it, it is absolutely, you're right, right? Been the, the encryption uh, information saving because it's so important and it has to be a reduced area of friction, right? It has to be something that the user goes, 
okay, I understand what I'm doing here. And I, and I, and I can be successful doing this. Um, so the one thing that, because we don't, we don't store it, we can't help is if somebody loses their encryption passphrase, you know, it's the same thing as if they were using, you know, a, a crypto wallet, but it's also the same thing if they were using encryption with any of our, uh, competitors, right? So if you're using, uh, client-side encryption with Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Wasabi, Backblaze, anybody, you lose your keys, you're kind of hosed. Um, so we integrate with any key management solution as well. So a lot of businesses have, have some sort of key management thing. They just integrate with that and it's fine. Um, and so we haven't, uh, over the years, seen more than a handful of people who have, who've lost their keys to something that's, that's a pretty uncommon, um, problem. And it's probably because we obsess about that area of the user experience, but we do offer, you know, sort of all the other support, right? So we have a community where people can join. And there's a ton of really educated people there in terms of helping people get started and helping people solve problems. And we also have our own support uh, and escalation process. So someone can file a ticket and they'll get that ticket resolved. And uh, our, our support team is absolutely amazing in terms of like just crushing it on uh, you know, like quick turnaround and being responsive uh, because we are very, very focused on the customer, right? Where when you're doing something different, when you're doing something disruptive, if you're not obsessing about your customer, then you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah. I love that. I I have a, a quick note on on customer support. It's it seems like we're in a pandemic of bad customer support, and I, I don't know why. There's a lot of companies that are, I don't know, they're I don't know what they're doing. Outsourcing their customer service. There's a lot of companies that are trying to separate the layer of connection so that they don't really have to deal with a lot of the customers. They want to have everything self sustaining, which great. That that's 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 awesome, but. I'm really happy to hear that you guys have great uh, support, a great support team. That is so important. Every business needs that. It's critical. It it shows that you care about the customer, and I think that that is that's awesome. And I also like that you guys are really adamant on telling people, hey, you got you got to save your keys. <laughs> you got to save your keys. Don't lose them. I don't know. Write them down. Put them somewhere secure. Um, maybe don't write them in a word document on your, on your computer or, you know, do what you want. I, I wouldn't, I really would advise against that. Don't do that, but you got to write it somewhere, save it. I don't know, tattoo it on yourself. I, I don't know. I don't know, but you, you got to figure it out. Um, I, I will say kind of a last note on what, what we have been talking about and kind of like the, the direct questions on, on storage. Uh, and if you don't mind getting into it, like, I don't know how much of this is, is proprietary. How do you guys uh, differentiate yourself with the onboarding process of getting customers acclimated with your product? And where is the save your keys part of that? I mean, how, how is it that you guys reinforce that idea with your customers? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the easiest thing really is... Uh, when anybody can sign up for a free account. And so, you know, when you sign up for a free account, like right early on, right? The, one of the first things that says generate your encryption passphrase, right? And there's a whole flow around that. And and we, we always have um, tickets for our, our UX team in terms of how can we make it better? So even though we think it's, you know, it's good, Every time we onboard a new customer, they're like, okay, what's this thing again? And what do I do? And they're like, whoa, 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 no, do the, do the thing, do the thing, right? Um, you know, it's it's sort of like, it's it's a constant reminder of um, you can always make your user experience better and more natural for your users. The, the two biggest things I think that we do, um, one is uh, uh, we make um, a, a huge effort to, to actually, as we're scaling, 
uh, even as we're scaling rather, to, to make sure that we have an account team that, that's there to support customer needs. So a lot of the time it's, you know, with, with data storage, the, the thing is people have to see the value, then they actually have to move the data. And so we're very, um, very hands-on in terms of helping people just go, okay, it's, it's S3, this is all you have to do. We also have partners, um, partners like uh, we have a, a great partner called AMove. And what they do is they move data from any cloud storage to any other cloud storage. And they're excellent at it. So if somebody's got 100 terabytes on Amazon, they're like, what is the fastest and lowest cost way for us to move this from point A to point B? They're like, well, we can assign the resources to you and help you, or you can just use this partner and you will be done like that because they are the fastest, easiest, low friction way to do it. And so I think having partners who can help you scale in terms of customer onboarding and customer uh, training and data transfer, um, that's been uh, that's been a huge um, uh help for us, right? So looking at the user experience and, and sort of that web 2.5 that you described with having an S3 compatible gateway, like making it easy and familiar is sort of the one thing and a good user experience. And then the second thing is partners, right? Just being able to have other companies who can help build storage as part of a solution and then help people onboard. Yeah, I, I love that because yeah, you, you can't just throw web three at people and you can just say, okay, like this is the future that it's better. Um, there's no sense of familiarity. You have to have some sort of, uh, something that, that people are familiar with, something that people are already comfortable with, and that will make them a lot more inclined to use your solution. And there was another, uh, great thing that I was going to say that I just, uh, I can't, oh, there's another, uh, core tenant of web three that you guys are following, which is collaboration, you know, working with partners. That is, that's huge. That, that is a, that is a big part of web three. And I, I am very happy to hear that you guys, uh, are doing that. I think that that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I, I think I, we, we don't see enough of that, right? We don't see enough of web three companies using web three infra, you know, so, so many places are, are like, Hey, we're web three, but we're built on Amazon or, Hey, we're web three, but we're built on digital ocean. And, and so we look to the left and right and go, any solution that we can bring to a customer and say, hey, here's here's somebody who we work with that adds value. And I think the one that, that we see most frequently right now is us plus live peer, um, because we are genuinely like the the way to go if you're doing like uh, mid-tier video streaming. If you're doing a couple of petabytes uh, video streaming, you're doing it globally, it's a no-brainer to use storage. But if you're using Amazon for transcoding too, holy cow. Can you knock a huge chunk off your bill? I mean, we're talking like going from three, was it three bucks a minute for transcoding down to 30 cents a minute? And it's great, right? I mean, the output is awesome. Um, you know, that's that's an area where us plus live peer is a end-to-end -end solution for your video transcoding storage and streaming needs. Like I love having a solution that I can go up to a customer and and say, this solves all the problems. You don't have to bolt on anything else. But I also love it when it's all web three. I love that. That that's so cool. I <laughs> I just I love this solution. I, I love what you guys are doing. Um, I I had a question on something that you that you said it it just escaped me. It was something that that um, but ultimately I, I like what you guys are doing, and I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that you got into that. On the note of of Web three, we've been talking a lot about some of the core tenants of Web three. Uh, a lot of the things that are important in this space, things that set this space apart uh, in the sense that these are not new concepts. These are not new concepts. These are, these are these are concepts that work in the old world, but in this new way of doing things, uh, they, it's just it's just better. It, it, collaboration, security, privacy, these things 
contribute to a better society and happier people. I mean, ultimately, like it is that simple. And I remember what I was going to say now. Um, something that you mentioned uh, in the answer that you just gave me, a lot of people are already trying to compete with solutions that are already out there. For example, uh, storage, like people are just, they're trying to reinvent the wheel instead of trying to work with each other which is, uh, like you said, that that's really important. You already have a lot of infrastructure in place. Why don't you just use existing um, solutions? Because you can build faster. You can build more things. We can expand this space a lot quicker. And it just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's uh, in the marketing world, it's called uh, cannibalization. Obviously in marketing, if you come up with a product that competes with itself, that's cannibalization. But in this sense, we're cannibalizing each other by trying to come up with competing pro products just because you have an idea that's slightly better. We're not even there yet. We we're, we are just getting started, and and you need to focus on a solution that is going to stand out when everything comes down. Because, and and I'll I'll say this really briefly. You said this a lot earlier in this conversation that the builders are starting to the true builders are starting to show now, right? We have lived in a world of Web3 for the last few years where people have uh, seen a lot of scammers and, and people have lost a lot of money to scammers and a lot of projects that were really cool, really innovative on paper. And the, they, they would have been life-changing products, uh, but people took the money and ran with it. And we have we will never see them again because they, they raised money with magic internet money <laughs> called Ethereum, Bitcoin, and all the other ones. And as time goes on, and it's starting to happen now, as everything settles down, the true builders are starting to show, like storage, it, like the people that were actually there trying to come up with, uh, use Web3 and use blockchain tech to come up with practical solutions for people that that, that have evidently beneficial, uh, well, benefits, <laughs> stuff that actually works right now and, and it works better uh, and, and it just makes people's lives easier. And one of the reasons I said this is, um, it, this is my last thing on, on this. My, my buddy just said the other day that uh, so, some of the only solutions that have come out that are truly decentralized, like IPFS, those are the ones that really changed the space. Other than that, a lot of these solutions that people are coming up with are on paper. They're, they're not, they're the fairy dust. They're not even real. They're, it's like, how are you even going to you know, make this happen? It's very fluffy. It's just people trying to extract money and that has really tainted the name Web3. And it's 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 tough because we have to push through that and still tell people, yeah, we're in the Web3 space. It was, it was a scam and you got to, but we got to keep going. We got we to gotta push through because we have great solutions like storage. And Web3 is like a gospel that we need to push forward because it's, it's just a better world. It's a better way of doing things. It's a better internet. It's awesome. And I'm still for it. I'm glad that you guys are. So I, you know, that's the last thing I'll say on that. But yeah. really, and really, I don't know if you wanted to say something on that. Oh yeah, I, I would love to say something about that. The um, you know, the, one of the things that I, I think scams get blown out of proportion and they get a lot of attention, but I, I think more more things um, more things just fail than they do. Um, then there there are scams, right? People have a good idea, they they do the white paper, and and then what they find is that that the thing that they were trying to do is actually uh it's really easy if you do it in a centralized way. It's really hard if you do it decentralized. And, and that has been, you know, I look at, you know, I joined storage in, in 2017 and it was really 2020 
before we really had had gotten the service to the point where um, we were seeing product market fit, that we were seeing like it worked for like, it, it didn't just store data. It solved a problem that somebody had who had data. And right now we're 50, 70 times faster than we were then. We have a lot better compatibility from uh, AWS. There are so many different aspects of the product that have evolved just since we kind of really started hitting our stride in 2020. We've kept our foot on the pedal, like full speed ahead, and we're still going. But it's, uh, you know, it's it's crazy how long that is in, in startup lifespan, like five years. Are you kidding me? Most startups only get a year, um, maybe two. But in Web3, I think you get a little bit more uh, uh, of a runway and a little bit more lifespan because you have so many people contributing. You have so much sort of energy behind behind these projects. And sometimes they just don't work, right? And I, and I think people get angry when they look at a project and go, ah, oh, it didn't work. But then you look at it and go, well, they were solving a really hard problem and they just ran out of time. And we see, we see a lot of great projects. And the cool thing for me is even though a project fails, what you also see is people who are really good, like they continue. Right. So you'll see somebody who they tried something, it didn't work, but they didn't quit. They kept on going and they kept building something. And, and sometimes they, you know, two or three down the road, they come with something great. Sometimes they join a new team who's already successful and they add value to that. And so that's that's one thing I do. I, you know, I try not to get get down on the, the industry because of the scams. I get excited about the industry because like if you don't try, if you don't try the hard problems, um, nothing's ever going to change. And so uh, you know, it's it's the few projects. And and you know, storage is lucky. I'm lucky to be here that that we've we've really got the traction. I mean, we won a, a uh, National Association of Broadcasters event, Product of the Year award. Right. This is a this is a Web two largest North American media and entertainment industry trade show. Thousands of companies there, and we won a Product of the Year award. Right. We beat beat out a bunch of traditional tech products in the storage space. Like, are you kidding? Like. That doesn't happen where where Web two looks and goes. You guys got something there. This is pretty solid. Keep going, right? And that's that's where we are right now, right? the 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 bulk of our adoption right now is honestly in media and entertainment in Web two companies. It's in higher ed, like the University of Edinburgh, storing and sharing particle physics data. Like it's it's real world use cases where they're not solved by any other cloud products out there. The way we do it. So this is like. We are in an exciting place. This is an exciting time. Even in Web3, it's a bear market. It's hard, you know, right now for a lot of providers. But at the same time, this is when the builders come out. You're absolutely right that a lot of these projects uh, have failed because it just, it just, there was no product market fit, right? And people had a genuine concern that, or they had a genuine solution for an actual problem that could be solved with Web3. A lot of those ideas are not going to work for another two, three, four years from now, and they're going to work perfectly, right? Because back to what you were saying, we need to come up with, with Web 2.5 solutions where it's Web 3 blended with Web 2. It makes sense. It's familiar. We can't just jump people uh, right into Web 3. And a lot of people have found that to be true. What's different with Web 3, you still have to, um, there's an entrepreneurial mindset for new projects. You still have to find product market fit what changes is the focus. It's it's focused on people over profits. And because of this change, there's another, uh, the tenant of Web3 privacy. 
in the old world, in, in Web2, it's a lot of gathering of data, um, a lot of times using whatever you want to call it, shady marketing tactics, buying data. Um, in a lot of cases, people can do that if, if, if data is, is uh, consensual. But in Web3, a lot of these projects and a lot of these companies, because of the fact that they're not doing that, people are willingly telling them everything that they want to know. I want this. I want that. I have these concerns. They're literally pouring their hearts out. It's it, because it's community driven. A lot of these projects are community driven. Um, and, and on that note, at the very end, I'll, I'll ask you again for that uh, information on the storage community, because that's huge. Every Web3 project uh, and uh, people that have products and services out right now, you need to have some sort of community. You, you have to. It's it's the foundation. Absolutely. Your community will tell you everything. They will tell you, I, I like this. I like that. I want to see this. They will tell you everything. Uh, and it's 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 great. It's great. I love Web3 for that reason. And, and yep. you know, on on that, I don't know if you wanted to add to that. No, go ahead. On that, I, I do want to ask you, how would you define Web3? How, how would you define it? So I would define Web3 as, as, as more of a, a set of technologies and, and an ideology than anything else, right? And so um, Web3 is, is an ideology of democratizing internet resources, right? It is about decentralizing uh, access to resources. It is about um, creating even access for everyone. And at the same time, enabling privacy uh, and security. Um, it is a combination of technologies that have sort of um, started with some some novel uh, novel things like distributed ledger and some existing old school tech like erasure coding and uh, encryption, right? And so it's 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 a generated set of primitives that that people are recombining to create solutions that fit the ethos. And and so when you sort of Look when I look at it through that lens personally, I sort of can see like okay, a combination of things that are sort of decentralized for the sake of decentralization, maybe won't find product market fit, as well as something where someone started with the problem and said, okay, this problem is being solved poorly in a, in a, in a current state. How do I take these primitives and assemble them in a way? That, that sort of meets the goals of, of people who care about decentralization, who care about uh, democratization of information and access to resources, who care about the environment, who care about um, you know, all, all of the, the governance aspects of things. And so when you, when you sort of talk about storage providers who give you free storage, but then the AI engine scans your actual data so that they can sell you things, maybe that feels a little less ethical and good as a storage platform that lets you own your keys and 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 sort of lives by the premise of you care about your privacy and so we're building tools that respect that privacy right it's just two different approaches um, to things that that largely stem from both that combination of technology primitives and ideology that go together because not all product market fit is just technology right it has to fit the problem that the buyer has, and it also has to fit the way that they want that problem solved. And I think more and more, those sort of non-functional requirements, like people caring about privacy, people caring about security, those sorts of things are, are becoming more relevant, and those things make Web3 more relevant. Yeah, wow. I, let me just say that's that's one of the best answers I have ever heard, because it, it is. It's a set of technologies. It's an ideology. There's this... Uh, 
uh, I, I want to use the right word. A lot of people will say, decentralize everything. What's the decentralized solution for this? Was it a certain Why? Why are we even doing this in the first place? What's what's the purpose? I, I think that part of the old ideologies of, of Web2 uh, is writing on habit. A lot of people will just have these sayings and people won't really think, why? Why, why are we doing certain things, right? And in Web3, the decentralization is just that a lot of systems that have been set up that are centralized just don't work because a lot of, in a lot of cases, there's not a lot of accountability. There's no privacy. There's no, there's no security. So decentralize everything that's not really a great saying. I mean, eventually, maybe everything will be decentralized, but starting with that is not, in my opinion, it's not necessarily the best way to, to go about it. We got we got to think, how are we going to think, uh, use the ideology of Web3 to rethink everything? How can we fix systems that aren't working uh, either properly or could, could be working better with these new technologies? How are we going to do that as opposed to Let's just decentralize everything, right? So, I mean, that was just pretty much a summary of, of what you just said. Um, but what you said was, I loved that. That was probably one of the best uh, definitions of Web3 I've ever heard. Because part of the, I was I was going to talk about, you know, movement, technology, but um, I had sub points, but you covered, you covered the whole thing. <laughs> uh, I'd like to hear, um, you know, we, we heard a lot about storage and you gave us your definition of Web3. I, I love it. Another question for uh, for you specifically, John, personally, uh, I'd like to hear about your experience at some of the Web3 events like NFT NYC, which is actually uh, where we met. Because I will say um, I was at NFT NYC 2022, I think it was. I can't remember which which year it was, but I, I bumped into you and that's, that's how we met, connected on LinkedIn. Um, and now here we are. I, I just, uh, you know, again, very grateful that you're here to, to have this conversation. But what what has been your experience at a lot of these Web3 events? Does it run with um, a lot of the values that we spoke about um, uh, concerning Web3? Is there a lot of value to be gotten out of the, out of these? Um, I, you know, I think I'll, I'll make it more open-ended. What, what's been your experience at, your, at these Web3 events? Have you liked them? I love them. I go to uh, I go to both uh, Web three events and Web two events, and there there is always sort of you know kind of a, a lot of a lot of noise in both, but there is signal, and the the, the best um, thing that you can get out of live events is talking to actual people who are curious about your service, and you can find out what their problem is and and, and sort of what are they looking for, and so you know it, it is a great opportunity to both sort of own your presentation and how you talk about your, your service or product, because you're going to talk to hundreds of people. And at the same time, you get exposed to tons of people doing really innovative things that you would never have any other opportunity to, to get exposure to. And then you, you can sort of look for synergies and say, oh, okay, you're building this thing. I'm building this thing. Hey, do you know this guy? Uh, like the number of times that, that I've been at, at, uh, um, at, at you know, ETH Denver or uh, or DevCon or DevConnect or any of these things where I'm just talking with somebody at random and they're like, yeah, I'm building this, uh, you know, a decentralized, um, you know, whatever video player. I'm like, oh, hey, do you guys know LivePeer? Because they're like, they're they're exactly the thing that you never knew you needed, right? Of course, everybody knows LivePeer, but like when you find these smaller projects and you can make connections between people, you know, there may not be a place for storage in there, 
but connecting like a digital identity provider with a platform that's doing self-sovereign um, consumer information and they don't have the DID thing figured out. And like, that's a solved problem and somebody's done it and you should just plug in. Like building those connections. Like I love talking at those events with people who are trying to trying to really build things. And, you know, I have all the time in the world to, to just hang out in a booth or hang out in a coffee shop and just cycle people through and just talk, right? And so I love these events for that purpose. And then one of the other things I like is, uh, you know, you sort of look at it and you go, hey, uh, what are the odds that I could talk to the COO of Google? For, for probably zero, you know, effectively. However, you look around these Web3 events and you're like, oh my gosh, there's the founder, there's the CEO, there's the COO, there's the CFO. Like everybody shows up and everybody is accessible, right? And there's this spirit of collaboration because nobody's out there going, every dollar you take in is one less dollar I take in. It's not like that. It's, hey, all uh, rising tide lifts all boats. How can we collectively show the world that Web3 is where the innovation is happening? Sure, Web2 is where the workloads are today. It's where the data is today, uh, but it's moving, right? I look at us and I look at every day, how much more data is on the service? And I'm like, yeah, it's happening. Right. And it's it, you, you don't necessarily see it everywhere all at once all the time, but uh, Web3 is changing things. And honestly, the, the place you see it most is live events. When people come up to you and say, hey, I tried your service. This was great. Or, oh, my gosh, if you don't fix this one thing, I'm going to shoot myself. You've got to get this right. And then, you know, boom, user story into the product team, have the interview. Right. You don't get that real time feedback anywhere else. So I, I said a lot of words, but really, I meant was I love it. I love them. I love those events. No, I, I love that. And you, you mentioned, you know, a lot of these, I mean, not a lot, all of them, the Web3 events, you will find the founders, the CEOs, and you also find just anybody working on these projects. Because one thing about Web3 is, hey, we're all working on projects. We just have different roles. These are just names. I'm the CEO uh, or I'm working on something a little bit smaller, like we're all still working on a project that is changing the world, changing the space. We just have different names. And that's that's the only difference. It's just a meeting of the minds. It's a, a, a collaboration of ideas. And I love that. I, I mean, the fact that I just, I met you at, at NFT NYC, I think that this, it's, it's a proof that that, that, is, that rings true. And um, yeah, I, I am so thankful for you sharing your thoughts, uh, answering all of my questions. I know that there were a lot, um, but I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you for being here. And, uh, you know, where, where can we find you? Where can we find, um, if you want people to follow you, uh, what's your Twitter handle? What's, uh, where do you want people to follow you? Uh, which, which social medias? All right. So taking it from the top. So, uh, but before I do, do all that, I will also say that, Hey, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to be on a, on a uh, program like this because this is, this is the, the, the right and best audience, right? This is exclusively focused on builders, people who are serious about the space. And so, so that's one of the things that, you know, you sort of hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm like, Hmm, let me just go remind myself. Oh, this is a good thing. All right. I'm down. Let's do this. Um, but in terms of like where other people can find me, uh, certainly we have storage.io, the website forum.storage.io is our community. You can find that through the website. You can sign up there also for a free trial. Our docs are docs.storage.io also available there. Um, you can follow uh, the company at uh, storage on Twitter. I'm at JG Gleason on Twitter and at Telegram and also on LinkedIn, oddly non-creative, but easy to find. So um, yeah, the, the, I'm, I'm easy to find, very accessible. And, and please, if, if you're looking to, uh, to find out more about you know, building on storage or building in Web3, uh, please reach out. 
Yeah, of course. Thanks for sharing that. And that is definitely not boring. That that makes it easy. And I love that you did that. <laughs> but yeah, once again, thank you for your time. Uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. And I hope that we can bump into each other again at some point. Absolutely. Uh, next event I'll be at is uh, D-Web Camp in San Francisco later this month. And then I'm not sure which ones after that. It might be um, ECC. Uh I think that's the next one coming up after that. But yeah, uh, I'm at the events. Track me down. Happy to talk. Yeah, if you guys see John, make sure you say hi <laughs> at those events. Uh, but other than that, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll talk soon, John. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much.